but it's against this deal. Well, anyway, we started out on a boat on Lake Mere, if I remember correctly. It went pretty uneventful to like the fifth day, right? The fifth day? Well, actually, Dobbin's character was wondering how Ice got on the ship and was talked to everybody from the captain down to the lowliest spit-on swab hand. Yeah. Eventually, like by the fifth day, they told him, look, dude, if you don't quit wondering about that door and where the ice on the ship is coming from, we're going to throw your ass overboard, right? Or something to that equivalent? The clerics bled out every night and did their ritual thing and the death paladins stood guard over them and held fish during the day. On the fifth day, I can't remember who the first one to see it was. Speedy's character, his cleric, looks over the side after waking up for an early morning piss and sees a aquatic elf. Fish person. Fish person, excuse me. Gone. Over the side of the boat. He turns to go get somebody else and when he looks again, it's gone. I'm taking it a little bit later that day, after we're all up and everything, Dobbin's character looks over the side and sees an aquatic hill. Fish person. I believe I talked to him. There you go, yeah. What did he say, Dobbin? I'm going to tell the captain to put a picture in his area and he's going to cut his nets. And then from that point, I'm seated down to the captain's quarters, banging on the door, worried that the ship and everybody on it was going to be destroyed by the aquatic elves, fish people. The captain, in turn, I believe, told Dobbin that, ah, uh, yeah, they say that all the time, don't worry about it, we got something for them if they try it. <laughs> so shortly thereafter, we're all back up on deck, and if I'm leaving anything out, just jump in. We're back up on deck, and the captain kicks open the door and starts yelling orders and everything, and so we're pulling the nets in, yeah. and as they were pulling these nets in, they were being cut, and even cut free in instances, and so at that point, the captain orders a couple of his guys to bring out the box. They bring out this big metal box, probably big around, as big as the diameter of the uh, gaming table, only about four foot tall three foot tall, four foot tall. They put it over the edge and unlocked the box to leave it hasped. And then the captain looks over till apparently he sees what he's looking for and tells them to, they open the lid and kick the box over and this huge orange round mouth, it was loogie, what was it again? A kraken. He kicks it over the side. Then as we're watching a little bit later, the water turns all bloody around the boat. The Kraken was just pretty much killing everything. And come to find out later, all the sea elves died, and that was like his chocolate, I believe is how Buck put it. Apparently the sea elves knocked a hole in the boat. Oh, yeah. And the dwarf was down under the... No, it was the ranger that was down there. And, uh, well, the dwarf saw it first, I believe. And then the dwarf, they started flooding with water, and the dwarf right. took off. He freaked out because there's water in his room. He on deck, y'all, and the sea is rising. Yeah, the sea is rising. He turned around about out. three times, realized he was surrounded by water, and just passed out. Here to the, then the ranger went down there and found the, the deck about a foot deep in water. No, it was the first two steps. First step. 
first step? Who's that? First step. Uh, submerged in water. And everybody and, and, and the crew was looking at the hole. And the hole in the boat was not flooding with water, but it had about a two foot diameter hole in it. Did we ever find out? I mean, later somebody said never about a water patch. I don't know what's all that. We never did find that out. Well, after they realized that the boat wasn't sinking, they were just taking on a little water and wasn't taking any more on, everybody was kind of calm. And well, what did you Yeah. Oh, yeah, we upsailed and took off the shore because the boat we thought would eventually oh, sink, yeah. And we sand-beached the boat, got out, and they wouldn't let us have our weapons till the next day. Oh! When we got out of the boat, Dobbin's character saw Lucane. No, he saw the captain oh. standing chest deep in the water, talking to himself. So thinking, well, I wonder what the hell he's doing. Dobbin jumps in the water. My thought, the thing that passed the boat was the water elemental. He's talking to us. That's, that's, that's kind of what I thought after I was thinking about it. But uh, hey man, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Dobbin walks over to see what's going on, and the captain immediately puts talking and turns around and starts looking at Dobbin, waiting for Dobbin to get over to him. Dobbin asks if he can help with anything, this, that, and the other, and he said, no, y'all get up on land, make camp, and we'll download y'all stuff in the morning. So we get up, and everybody starts making camp, and I ask the Ty's character, the ranger, which goes by the name of... Uh, Sarshank, if he had do like a perimeter sweep, which he did with about a 50, 60, 75 foot radius somewhere out there around the camp, and he ran across, I believe, five different tracks, come back in and then asked Luke Kane, knowing he had some tracking ability, to come help him identify the tracks. And I don't remember what all the tracks were about. Were they trolls? Out there, trolls,
the water yeah. in the middle. He's a fishbowl, and then he helped patch the boat. That's pretty cool to have if you want to be a pirate. You know? Nope. Anyway. Okay, after that point, the next morning we all woke up and decided that we were going to head due east instead of straight north from our beer. Yeah, we got our equipment back. Yeah, we got our equipment back. All of it had been rummaged through, but everything was there. Everybody's valuables had been looked through, but everything was there. So we looked at the map and thought Narnia is kind of back up to the northwest versus where we need to go to the northeast to Delray. So the shortest line was just straight east to the tax road to get into Delray. So we headed east. The rangers took off ahead, the rest of the party started filing out, and then I remembered about putting the fire out, so I stopped and turned around and put the fire out. <laughs> Upon doing so, I started a chain of events that just really sucked. <laughs> my, my paladins doing, following their paladin code, went on ahead of the clerics and, you know, pretty much at the front of the party. And not realizing that the party was so far ahead, I turned around to put the fire out. And when I did that, I believe, I believe Lutane took off first, and he, he hid. The, the next ranger took off ahead of the party leading, and the party followed off. And by the time I got the fire put out, I turned around and realized there's nobody here but Lutane, who I might add was hiding under a very excellent hide roll. <laughs> So I walked up with Luke Kane and we started to walk off after the party. Luke Kane warned you that there was things in these woods that you didn't need to be just wandering around through here. Told you you needed to try to hide. But that's and told right. you there was a hydra in this area. <laughs> and about that time you started hearing the paladin. Screaming like a child. Well, I missed two listen rolls, so Luke Hayne was telling me, Oh my God, do you hear that? And of course, I couldn't hear it, and then about the third roll later, I heard my paladin, who apparently realized I was nowhere around, so starts yelling my name. So, you know, I'd know where he was, and hopefully he, he was running around panic looking for me. Well, about that time, unbeknownst to Luke Hayne and I, his uh, yelling brought forth a hydra, which of course Luke Hayne <laughs> said he'd probably be back any minute to get some water. <laughs> so Luke Hayne goes into a stealth move silently and into a hide as where I've run, I think, double or triple to get to the party, not knowing that there was a hydra there yet which when I broke the clearing or got there, I realized we were in a world of hurt. Now the fight with the paladins and stuff, I'm not just right on the money on it. I don't know exactly who did what, Hydra, where it went. Hydra came up and uh, Hydra came up and my paladin instinctively went between the cleric and the Hydra. Hydra came up and just ate my paladin, just ate flat out ate him. Which really sucks now that I reflect on it, because I could have carried back two bags of goo and brought them back. I do not understand why I did not think about that at the time. Because he was yelling out loud in the forest. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did. Why did I not think of it? Anyway, 
Ate the paladin. And then started fighting with everybody. Some some people were Speedy's leaving. Cleric some people point. were hiding. Ate Speedy's Cleric. Well, Speedy's Cleric at that point threw an obscuring mist with his magic user end of it. But having eight heads... Oh, 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 right. Threw the mist out, and the, the hydra with eight heads just starts snapping into the mist, and eventually got a lucky shot and got Speedy's character, which in turn he got eight. <laughs> everything else. The whole time the ranger was shooting at the heads. Actually, at that point in time, he was still hiding. Yeah. Slick was. Yes. Okay. Slick eventually came out of hiding, which, you know, I can't blame him, man, I would have yet too if I didn't have party members getting eaten alive. But, uh, Slick comes out and eventually starts shooting this thing with arrows and draws its attention, to which at that point it moves on Slick. Oh, wait, it already went to Sanctuary and approached the party. Yeah, you already went to Sanctuary. Yeah, when I went into Sanctuary, I, I yelled to the party, leave it be. Which I guess he missed his role, or he just chose not to do that. What's the name of the orange dude? The captain told me what it was. The attack the elf and us talking to him. Kraken. Well, at that point, about the time I cast the sanctuary, went to walk up on it. It didn't view me as a threat, which I was going to try to get under at that point and play some hands on it and do some damage. About that time, I guess an arrow hit one of the heads drew his attention, and he went after Slick. Well, when that happened, I cast two spells. I cast Summon Monster 2, or 1, and then Summon Monster 2, and brought forth a dire hawk and a celestial eagle to hopefully draw the attention off of the heads, off, draw the attention of the heads off of the party so we could all get away. <clears throat> Not really wanting to get away because I knew I had to get to the party members in the belly. Following. Slick. So I did a triple move and caught up with it, figuring that its back was to me. I could probably get to it and lay hands on, which I did, and drew attention of, I believe, four heads to myself. Since the Hydra did not have to refocus, he attacked me and got me in his maw where I was throwing some inflict spells on him and eventually he swallowed me. By that time the dwarf, who I forgot to mention at the beginning of this little tale, had taken off running and had finally gotten his head back and was coming back to see if everything was alright. Right? Yeah. And Slick was heading back too, still shooting this thing with arrows. Right. And so was the that little character popped out of the box. Right. About the time I was swallowed whole, the rat boy's character popped out of the box. The party had done enough damage to this, hey rat boy. The party had done enough damage to this Hydra that Rat Boy with an amazing, you know, just feat of strength and awesomeness that he possesses cuts this thing down. I start taking damage in the stomach, they cut me out, and I lose temporarily or permanently, hasn't been seen yet, three hit, three points of constitution. 
when I get out of the belly, the first thing I want to do is go back to the lake, and everybody else seems to want to go to the road. So I just kind of said, fuck that, I'm going to get clean because I'm not walking the delivery with hydra acid, belly acid all over me. Fuck it, I can't do it. <laughs> at that point, Beaver brought in a new gnome and the death paladin, and I went back to the lake to clean up, which the boat was still there because we hadn't been gone for an hour yet and already died and got tore up. So we meet back up with the party and make it to the road. And then in a part of uneventful rolls to Delric, we get all the way to Delric uneventful, right? Yeah. Yeah. Upon getting to Delric, we see that the, the town is closed up and fortified and there's three sets of guards at the front gate and they question us about our business. And we've been told about attacks on Delric Key, which we were there for the uh, Sphinx attack, and then apparently we found out that the Seven and Borthar were fixing to go to war. Upon questioning all the party members and finding out that, you know, we were from Delric and we were just coming home, we were admitted into the city, to which point we just dispersed and went about our own, our own little Damn, I forgot about my vision. I had a vision on the boat. You want all that in there too? Or is that just personal? You just want the overall, right? Overall. Yeah. Well, we all go our separate ways. Lucane goes and takes care of his business. The deaf people go with me to the church. The dwarf, I believe, goes and finds his job. And immediately to get drinking. And the gnome goes straight to the magic user guild and delves deep into study. Finding out what he gets in the party so the magic I guess each here we're each gonna have to kinda of tell our own story. Okay. I went to the magic user's guild. Uh, and uh and uh just uh, and 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 dug into books about the seven, the relation to to to, to, to Borthar and what's going on currently, and uh, stuff like this. Groft has apparently left his library. That apparently the seven are waging war on Borthar himself. Groft has given up an essence flow and moved his library to the ice castle. He's, a, he's in the process of doing that right now. Oh, that's amazing. And I learned that the seven are represented by colors, Groff being black, therefore being all colors. Mondir being There's orange. There's a correction right there. Go ahead and throw the Groff is what? Groff is I thought he was going to be. White is the collection of all colors. Okay. I'm sorry. Being white, being the collection of all colors. Mondir being orange, the other yeah. seven we do not know about. Is that my character right I uh, then began to study essence flows and uh, came up with the names of the books The Mystic Circle, Shenza, and Dreamscape. And uh, those books can be found in Aspertide, Mardu. Benson Bun and Groft. 
So after that, we went back to the Red Dragon, or I went back to the Red Dragon Inn to go meet up with the rest of the party. Okay. The Death Paladin, myself, and that was it. Went to the Death Church carrying the bag, that, bag of goo that was one of the remaining, well, one of the Hydra victims. We walked in, yeah, exactly. We walked in, and I walked up to the Abbey Master and told him, man, we got a cleric that's down, and uh, we need to get him brought back. And the Abbey Master asked me one question, and it was like something to the effect of, uh, did he call the death upon dying, or, yeah, you know, whatever. Basically, did he die with faith? And I told him, to the best of my knowledge, yes. Well, at that point, he, he looked real concerned, I guess, and grabbed up the deal, grabbed up the bag with our party member in it, and ran into the... Uh, little benounced, uh, death really favored this cleric, so all night, the head heavy master and his top seven were spent revising and bringing him back. Help me out here now. What was the last thing you said? We took him in. We took the salad and the cleric in. Yeah, I got him. 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 After that, yeah, we went to talk to Borthar and ask him what's going on with the magic users in the land since, since we found out that the Seven and him were at war. Upon walking in, we see Borthar and Mondir and my master. Can you give him a name real quick, Buck, or does it matter? Or would it just be master? Okay. My master, the one of the oldest. What was that? What was Micah on there and just make a file out of it. Shoot that fucking to your house. Okay. That way you sit there and eat time so it was all that was there, there but you're far, my master, you just start recording what's going on. Who was the other person that was there, but it was my dear Borfar and my master, wasn't there one other person there and I didn't know who he was. Another dude in the game was the old Oh, another knight of, or another uh, cleric of the old code, which was above me in rank that I'd never seen before. Well, after a little while, Borthar finished writing and stamped a document with his seal, handed it to Mondir, who Borthar told him, you have 12 days. Mondir said 24. Borthar volleyed back with 11. <laughs> Upon Mondir taking the, the parchment and disappearing. At that, the Death Paladin and I stood there and waited to be acknowledged, which we were. And Borthar goes, you know, I asked Borthar what's going on and if there's anything we can do to help. And he said, funny you should ask, but there is something you can do to help. Well, I read all this stuff now. Yeah, I got it too. <laughs> he said, uh, you're going to take one of my guards and supplies and go to Der Fidget, which is way down south of the Dragonlands. What did we estimate that to be? About a year and a half? Boy, or travel? 
Oh, we haven't? We'll look into that here in a little while then. We're to get there. Or wait, wait, wait. We're to go to Durfidget. Get from the Crash Brothers in Belden Key. What? Get the key from that on. Yeah, get the cat. The, get the key going flying. Right, there we go. From the Crash Brothers in Belden Key. The key fits the rift door in Heffy. We're to find a guy in Heffy named Erlinden, and we find him at the camel shop. He will take us to the caves of the dark moon. There, on the 21st level of the cave, we insert the key into the rift mirror. Ah, the master, my master before I leave, will give me the sacred chant of coming. I chant it at the, ghetto, at the gateway. And I will, with whoever else wants to, will enter the gateway. I'm supposed to walk the negative material plane and seek out Marga. Marga is like a, a being just almost godlike. Who will release to me Death's Jade Scepter. The courier that I'm supposed to take with me unbeknownst to me at this time is Speedy is the only one who can touch the scepter. <coughs> I'm supposed to bring the scepter back to Borthar for what we find out later is going to be used to crush an oncoming attack of 12,000 Marvakan paladins and clerics and more than likely in the end of all of it strange the world into all undead. Borthar's cheating again. Yeah. And Borthar, yes, sounds like he is cheating again. Sounds like a my dick is using his god to fight again. So at that point, Borthar tells me that any further instruction I need will be given to my, from my master. And, uh, when we're ready to go, we're supposed to meet up with the, uh, a guard of the Borthar's keep, apparently. Uh, what happened after that? After, right. it was all me. Uh, actually, no, it, it, it was, it was back to... It was, it was his resurrection and my cattle-telling. They brought me back. Okay. Your cattle-telling, yeah. He, he was pretty much last, but it was the next morning before he got brought back. I mean, they worked on him all night long. Oh, that's right. So okay. now we need to we need to talk about the meaning of the Red Dragon and then what you did after that, right? <laughs> yeah. All the Red Dragon was a bunch of drunk. It was slobbering on each other. Okay. While I was, that was, pretty cool. while I was at the Mage's Guild, <laughs> I did learn that every single mage that was in the Mage's Guild uh, allied with the Seven. And uh, essentially so did myself. Therefore, when I learned of all this information about how Borkar was going to kick the shit out of the Seven, I got worried. Uh, my character then, that morning, went to the Mage's Guild, talked to the High Mage there, and asked to speak to one of the seven concerning Borthar's retrieval of the Jade Scepter. He took me to Mondir himself in my, my player form, and uh, I told him the tale of, of how we were going to uh, going to re go retrieve the Jade Scepter and how to go about doing that. 
or Mondo your ass if it was important? I said, yeah, I think it is. Uh, he, uh, for the lives of my party members and and uh, then he asked me what my fee was. I basically said my fee was I basically asked him for everything but said I required nothing and he said then you shall get nothing. Did you tell about the part where he asked you what you told him you were a necromancer and he asked you why? Yeah he asked me why I was why I was, uh, why I was, uh, going along with a seven and not, and not, you know, and not forethought and death. And although I do love death, my character, he loves death, he loves undead, that's just the way he works. He worships death. And it means nothing to him without magic, and Vorthar is trying to destroy all magic for the most part. So, that was my character's motivation for doing so. You failed to tell us that Orthar said that after you did this, he was going to shake off the mortal coil. Oh, I know, I didn't tell you that. Anyway, afterwards I went to... Afterwards I came back and... Uh, Yeah. Well, I got it in my mind. That's actually <laughs> <laughs> Somebody owes me 12,000 for this. 
thought he was a thief, and, and Strick had to prove to him by looking in a book at a track that he really was a ranger because he was wearing studded leather armor, which threw the alchemist to thinking, no, I know what rangers look like, and you do not look like a ranger. Well, anyway, the pact was made, and the night went on, and we all crashed. Eben went to the death church and bled out as slow and ritualistically as possible. The paladin stated that he, he, he tortured people all night, babies and children. <laughs> and that was the end of that night. The next morning, I handed over to Speedy. As I get up and go look for... Well, yeah, I had a vision that night, but I'm not leaving the visions in there. Oh. I didn't put the first one in there. This is just basically overall for the party. Okay. Had a pretty nasty vision that night, and the next morning when I woke up, I went in to see if Speedy's cleric was alive, and the death paladin went with me, and he was alive. He was unconscious at the time, coming to, wrapped in cheesecloth. I woke up with a... Everybody looking at me with wide eyes, kind of strange-like, and uh, after I completely woke up or whatever, uh, uh, Evan took me over to a mirror and pointed out my uh, white hair and burnt palms and so forth, my new self, and uh, so he took me down to go get me changed and to talk to the Abbey Master, and uh, when I went to get clothes or whatnot, uh, when I removed my robes, my entire body, from my collarbone down, I guess, pretty much, and up into my palms were uh, completely covered in tattoos every centimeter. Runes. Runes. I guess uh, that'd be a, of a language I couldn't understand. And uh, we, at that time we didn't know the purpose of the runes or anything at all. So instead of going to the Abbey Master, we went to... Uh, you didn't have any pupils anymore. Oh, I had no pupils. My hair was white and long, like solid white, long in the middle of my back and I had runes covering my body. And I had my holy symbol, I had a new holy symbol that was a, like of a, a metal we haven't seen yet, an alien metal. And uh, it was pretty valuable. Oh, what was that? Huh? No, no, no. no, it was, uh, no. Uh, an unearthly metal or something. Yeah, in Fort Grill. Yeah. There you go. And uh, so, yeah. so, so, had the gold. I got a platinum. I used to have a gold one. He had a gold one. And uh, before, uh, instead of going to the Abbey Master here, at this church, we went to uh, Evan's actual master. And uh, that's where I explained to, uh, basically, that I was the carrier. And, uh, right, the carrier of the staff. And that's where we are currently, talking to him now. It seems like there's a little bit more in there than that. Though. Yeah, I was explained to I was given my hood. I was given the black death hood. And, uh... Well, a, a hood of concealment to go along with the runes of your tattoo. That, that, that finished the runes. Right. And, uh, the, my palms, the reason that they were callous just so I could actually hold the scepter. Right. They were burnt so they would be no hands. And that's also where I found out that uh, I had two spell-like abilities that uh, I I really didn't want to throw at the time because uh, before they were changed, <laughs> they were uh, a ninth level cleric spell and uh, a fourth level cleric spell category. So uh, that's quite a bit above my third level I have. And uh, that brings us to the next day, I believe. Oh yeah, the reason uh the reason all this happened about the resurrection and everything is because uh somewhere back in my family there was a my family was a lineage of a I guess a very 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 trustworthy cleric and that's why Death uh he didn't see it until I guess they brought me the cleric uh Abbey Master brought me to see Death and then Death realized 
who was calling for him earlier and so forth and uh, had me res in that form. and he won't be playing his character for another couple of years. Till today? Two, uh, November of 2002. And he's a badass corporal because he played a Hydra all night. He played a Hydra and one hit by himself and now he's a corporal militia. He was paid for the deep and the assassin from Montauk or whatever the fuck the name of that town is. And they were released from the prison. And I ran like a little bit. And he ran. And uh, I had a mortgage and everything on. Tell what happened. Uh, oh, how, how are you released? Uh, there was a door on the right, and one of the guards said, run. <laughs> and I hauled balls as fast as I could, <laughs> and somebody caught up to me, uh, tackled me, knife up to the throat, said be at the Red Dragon Inn at 7 o'clock. 7 one you're not there, you're dead. Uh, basically, uh, I guess that's where we left off at the end of all that. We're fixing to go either go to the Red Dragon Inn or finish playing into whatever or whatnot. Starting at 7 o'clock the next day, or the following evening, at the Red Dragon Inn, the group re-met, where we discussed further the plans for the quest of the Death's Jade Scepter. At this meeting, several bickerings between Luke Hain and Evan about the need for the God of Death and Luke Hain's personal personal gain involved in this and why he should go with this. During this meeting and during this arguments, a wood elf approached with a scroll for Evan. The scroll was telling was for Evan to uh, write down the names of who all was write down the names of the party that was going. During this process a, another elf approached, uh, yeah, that was approached and asked about hearing about traveling to Plains and wished to join the party. At this time, Lutane asked if this person was willing to pay to join the party. This wood elf went out and talked with its companion for a little bit and came back and threw down 1,500 gold onto the table to pay for it, which Evan threw the, the sack of gold to Evan to help pay off part of the debt that Lucane says that the church owes him. At this point, Woodolf introduced himself as Kevlar and his companion, Shink. Which we never saw. Yeah, which we never saw Shink to this point. After the Wood Elf with the name, list of names left, an all call was put out for all the clerics at the Death Church. You're doing good, man. Distant, the Death Paladin and the clerics running to the church yeah. with everybody else following out. Rat Boy, who had been following Kevlar right, to find out what he was up to, was still outside and saw this going on. As we all exited the bar to see what was going on, on the priest and the paladins took off. 
Lutane and Ratboy's character, Jewel, uh, met up and talked and decided they were going to go do their thing. Thorn the dwarf started following the priest to find out what was, sort of curious to what was going on. The gnome wanted to see what was going on, so he sent his familiar and tiny mudman up the wall of the dwarven tavern to see what was going on and was told that lots of pretty lights and all this. As the mage asked us, are there any dragons? Yes, there are thousands of them, the gnome replied. So the gnome went off to the mage's guild. At the death temple, in the mass gathering, the, as Eben and the paladin and the other death cleric <laughs> got there, they were found out from the abbey master that they were to start a chant of power for something was going on, but no one really knew at this point in time. At that point in time, the two death clerks and the paladin with three other, four others, went with the abbey master into a private room. That, the gnome arrived at the mage's guild. And there he noticed that the, or the apprentices were scribing a runic circle of power on the floor of the guild. At this point, he joined in and started helping them. The clerics got back to the Abbey Master's room where he started looking for a scroll. The Abbey Master started looking for a scroll. The Abbey Master came, turned around and told them that he needed a porticlus, or yelled out the word porticlus. At that point in time, one of the other NPC death mages, or death priest, <laughs> bled himself out as another one started writing the runes with the blood out priest's blood. Eventually, the one writing the runes looked up and said, Ashes. And at this, Eben ran out of the room to gather ashes and came back. And they started sprinkling the ashes on this. Shortly thereafter, they called, the Abbey Master called for a child in which the paladin, then led by Reuben, <laughs> ran out to the streets where he passed Thorin, the dwarf, standing guard over the temple protecting his friends and grabbed a child off the street and brought him back to the Abbey Master. During this time, the gnome, sitting there scribing his circle, starts to ask questions about after they had finished the circle, what's this for? And the person he asks says for teleportation. And he says, well, for what? The guy he's talking to says, I don't know. But who would? He points over to the leader of this. He looks up and there is Mondir. And Mondir looks at the gnome and says, you're not a member of this guild. And the gnome shoots back with, well, then guild me. So Mondir levitates him up, spins him around, and sucks on his brain for a little bit. Who knows why eBay would suck on a gnome's brain. <laughs> okay, stop right there for a second. Gnome's getting his brain sucked out and feels the sharp burning pain in his head. Eventually, he falls to the floor. And Mondir looks at him and looks at the rest of them and says, take your places. Mondir is the mage's back up against the wall. The gnome backs up with him. Mondir stands there with his arms across his chest looking around, waiting for the gnome to take his place. Eventually, the gnome figures out that Mondir's waiting on him. <laughs> and he 
moves, finally moves up and asks Mondor where he wants him, and he points towards another smaller pentagram. At this point, he takes the place, and Mondor starts casting his spell, and they teleport. Back at the abbey, in the temple, the abbey master finishes, starts to read the skull that he has found, and is going through it. it at the end of the spell, he brings down a ceremonial dagger, and disembowels the child that the paladin brought in from the street and looks, and nothing happens. The Abbey Master turns and looks at the paladin and asks him, where did this child come from? The paladin returns, replies, from the street. The Abbey Master gets a shocked look on his face and says, no, we needed one of our childs. At this point in time, a flux in the faith magic of the temple starts to build as if blood is being cut off and restored to the brain quickly, making everyone disoriented. At this point in time, the minor death of Borthar. <laughs> I said lesser death. Lesser death of Borthar appears and looks at the Abbey Master and says, your faith isn't strong enough. It does not matter where the child comes from and abonishes the Abbey Master after punching him down. At that point in time, as a lesser death. <laughs> and as, as lesser death floated, he, he banished the Abbey Master until he atones for his lack of faith. At this point in time, he whisked the other clerics and paladins down to his lair where they stand. And, and wait. Evan is fourth in the lineup of five. Evan is fourth in the lineup of five. And Emilio, and Emilio is number five. With our brave paladin standing behind them. With brave paladin standing behind them. At this point in time, Mondier and his five mages that have helped him set up the teleportation portal appear. Surrounded by a shimmering light, they stand. And, and the last, and the five mages go in power down to the last one as the gnome faces off against Emilio. So, at this point in time, Mondir speaks to Borthar and tells him he knows about his plans for the Jade Scepter and tells him that he can help. During this, he also asks for payment for his help in getting this, that Borthar protect his tower and essence flow from what Borthar plans. Borthar walks out. and agrees to this and looks down upon Mondir who previously had shifted from his mind flare into Sylvan Elf form. You got the part about uh, the, th the two conditions that turned into the third condition? Getting there. The I'm getting there. Mondir lets out a sound that is rarely heard. A deathly laugh fills the cavern. As he looks up at the lesser death form of Bothar floating above the ground and says, 
and you will also protect my life. Orthar looks down and the contract will be amended to protect your life. At this point in time, Borthar shifts from Lesser Death to Sylvan Elf, and they commence to talk as Sylvan Elves. Mondir also went from Mind Flayer to Sylvan. Yeah, that earlier. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. At this point in time, Mondir turns and teleports his people out of the room, another feat that is rare due to the anti-magic of the area. Borthar looks at the clerics and releases the other the clerics except for Eben and Emilio and the Paladin. At this point in time, time, he turns to them and they start to walk back to a door where there is a chest for them. Borthar calls commoners to come and move the chest for the brave adventurers and also tells them that their Red Guard guide will meet them outside and that his name is Tharin. Borthar leads them, or shows them out. There they meet Tharin, the guard in red, a big Neanderthal man, knuckles dragging the floor with bladed gauntlets. At this point in time, they start to make their way back to the Death Temple. Meanwhile, back at the Death Temple, as Thorin the Dwarf has stood guard, hard, he is tapped on the shoulder by a cleric, and they discuss the theology, a short and abbreviated version of the theology of the Death Church, and bleeding out. The cleric cuts his wrist and asks Thorin if his axe will cut like taps. Thorin goes, no. Cleric asks for him to show him, so he tells the cleric to hold out his arm and chops off his hand. Cleric's impressed. Cleric passes out, <laughs> explaining the purpose of bleeding out. Hello. At this point in time, a death paladin yeah. approaches with a great sword here, and challenges Thorn to see if he wishes to test how the great sword cuts. And Thorn backs down and waits for his friends to return. At, after a while. As Thorn the Dwarf waits in the shadows of the street, eventually he sees Eben and Emilio and the Paladin return with a massive red shadow following them. He steps out to greet his traveling companions, and before he can even blink, he is on the floor with the red mass of the Neanderthal sitting on top of him. After a brief discussion of the purpose of Thorin in life with the rest of the party being a part of the party, they go on. As they start to enter the temple, there is a loud clamoring as Thorin, the Red Guard, Ard, Ard, is in a confrontation with the Death Paladin. Eben goes up and quickly defuses the situation, at which point in time Tharn the Red Card tells Eben that his only purpose is to make sure that the two clerics remain alive throughout this adventure. They go back to Eben's room, where Tharn immediately attacks Eben's bed. After further in 
investigation, there is a pile of red mass, which Emilio creates and raises the dead, and they find out that this was a person sent to alleviate a problem for its master. The dead that had been, or Emilio had raised was a wit. After turning to talk to, after Emilio turned to talk to Eben, and they turned back, the wit was another pile of mass with Tharin, the guard, wiping his, the blood off his hands once again. After a brief discussion, Evan has the commoners put down the box and they open, and Evan disarms the box with his face and opens it. Inside are a series of smaller boxes, one for each member of the party. As the boxes are open, opened by the individual members there, items are found. Emilio finds a bag of jewels, a book of death, and two what appear to be corncob hold, corn holders. That's what they are. Thorne opened the box, and in it he found what originally felt to be won't put that in there. <laughs> to be a tip of a broomstick. As he started to remove it, it turned into to a dwarven axe, highly ruined, with several with ten gems on it. Thorn also found a bag of gems within the box. After that, Jules opened his. In it, he found a pair of boots, gloves and a bag of gems. And now we come to the great arrival of Sarshan, who was next in line to open his chest that was given into him by the Death Church, and in which he pulled out three polished stones and a bag of gems. Aaron also, or Aaron the Death Knight also pulled a sword from his. The sword that Aaron received was a holy sword of his church. It was holy evil. Eben opened his box to find a book of the old code, a kind of an Old Testament as far as death, or death clerics are concerned. Liu Kang opened his to find a black cloak made of very fine materials. Uh, 
Eben told him that you never know what you're going to wind up finding uh, along the way and in the 21 levels of hell to which we are about to descend. <coughs> the next day we spent equipping, equipping, and again, after another eventless night, the next morning we rode out to Maltavia. A several week journey by horseback, but not entirely uneventful. During said time, the Warren and myself, Sarshan, the great and wonderful, decided to have a practice duel, and in which Thorin narrowly defeated me. <laughs> After which, Aaron the Paladin decided that it was his turn to challenge the victor. He fought, or he fought Thorin and wound up hurting each other in the match, but Aaron was successful. They arrived safely at Narnia. Shortly afterwards, on the route in between Narnia and Moldavia, Theron stopped and asked the fighters of the group to stand guard around the, around the priests while he had to go take care of some quick business. He was gone only five minutes or so whenever he came back bloody. No one asked him exactly what he had seen during that last five minutes. We continued on and were later marauded. After a short travel to the nearest village, Baron got the patrol guard and slapped him down. The party shocked by this looked on in silence. We proceeded and arrived in Maltavia, where we proceeded to have gotten pickpocketed, uh, namely Theron, who caught the thief red-handed and ordered him slain in the streets before God and everybody without a trial. En route from Maltavia to the Elfkin lands, after approximately a week or so, we came across the river in which the which we took a short break. Kelpar, the guy that's traveling with us, that weird, creepy guy with his little creature, decided that it would be fun if he ran off and didn't tell us where he was going. So, he stayed out there stayed out several hours without giving any word or showing back up so that we could proceed on our mission. Myself, Jules, and Liu Kang went out to investigate the matter, and whenever we did, we found uh, Kelvar sitting around a box that was opened in a weird swirling mass right outside, or coming outside of it. Kelvar immediately closed his box and turned around startled and said that he was sorry for uh, causing us so much time delay and that he had didn't realize that that had happened. He had appeared to be in some sort of a trance. We got back on the road, and that's whenever we noticed that around us, on a mile in either direction, were red-armored guards, patrol guards for the road, obvious to keep any more monsters from happening to come across our particular party since they had been smited earlier. <laughs> 
several weeks pass and we arrive at the Elfkin lands, in which we we all went to the tavern and got ourselves a room, in which Theron put both the clerics and or up in the room and told them that they could not leave, but they could have hoes and shit like that brought to them at will. Liu Kang, Thorin, and myself decided that we were now, after having put up with Kelvar and all of his little sheep crap, that we were going to put him to the test and find out exactly what this shink thing was and finally put an end to this whole mystery. We got up to the room, the dwarf and myself, we drank a lot, passed it around, no one accepted, at least very little. They sure did. Accepted a little. But... Kelvar apparently seems to be more sneaky than anything and managed to shrug off our best attempts to find out what we were doing, even though some of us, including myself, gave him specific information of myself, trying to get this information out of him, the little bastard. I honestly think he's a bard. The bastard has an annoying habit of writing down everything we say and do. If we went and took a leak, he's got it written down on paper. <laughs> Apparently, he also gives all of this information to his buddy Shink in the box. I guess Shink likes stories about people taking leaks in the wilderness. along the way. Because the dwarf, the dwarf has a song about the projectile vomiting on the boat that's back up in our Maltava. <laughs> and there's a song, he's famous now because of that song. About <laughs> the noble dwarf who's still in the boat. And hurled on everybody's bed. <laughs> the gnome at this particular point read all night and didn't get anything out of it. Not late or anything. Okay, we got it. So, one is, theory number one is the gnome myself is a beacon to all the other seven For to let them know where the Jade Scepter is. Pop out of the hole. Yeah. That's why I have all kinds of uber magic items on me. Of what? Now where the fuck is an uber magic? <laughs> Dude, I heard an uber on Fox News Network, man. He made an uber mistake, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it on Fox News Channel, man. They were talking about Harry, Harry, Harry Condit. So what other points are we looking at it from here? We looked at it from Mondir's? <clears throat> looked at it from, okay, Mondir's point of view is he's looking he's looking out for himself completely, 100%. Yeah. Or, that we can pretty much guarantee is probably true. Or, or, or he's working for the Seven. He's still holding his own with the Seven, and this is what he can do. Yeah, I think that you could also say is more than likely. Or he's, he's saying, screw the Seven. I think he's doing both, actually. Oh, I'm sure he's doing both. He's doing for Seven, and then the yeah. third was like, well, shit, Borthar may have a chance, so, uh, hey, yo, man, Borthar will right. we'll be yeah. with the side that's going it's to win. Yeah. That's yeah. how much hell you can pretty much figure that going on. But see, it's just, I find it ironic how people just keep saying that Mondir's a pro. Yeah, Mondir's not a punk. He smacked a deity. I mean, I don't know. Means, is yeah. And Borthar couldn't take Mondir down by himself. It'd be no, a good you're right. He could. Load it up and go. Hey, hey when we get in there, the diff, when we get in there, the diff church needs. Thank you.
something that's happened in the past that the gamers have forgot. This is y'all remembrance. For the clerics, it can be y'all vision. For the uh, magic user, it can be foresight. I don't care. Okay?
for some ungodly reason, the two half-orcs were having breakfast together, where a dwarven merchant and weaponsmith came up to the dwarf, dwarf and asked if he could swing his weapon for a mithril piece. After a little thought concern, the dwarf took the other dwarf out back and let him swing hmm, the dwarven horax from the dwarven forefathers and laughed at the merchant as he poorly swung it. The paladin followed the dwarf back as the dwarf left and tried to ease his pain of being laughed at by another dwarf. Shortly thereafter, the group left and went back up to Malkay, Baltavia, where once they got there, they noticed that no one would talk to them, common or thief or otherwise. They were left alone as their trip. After many months of travel, they finally reached the portal. There, they sent in the cleric Emilio into the negative material plane. Where there, he walked until he was surrounded, until he walked to the point where he was going to meet the person that held Jade Scepter and was noticed that she was surrounded by millions of spheres of annihilation. As he spoke to her, she let him in through it and picked up the scepter and started to carry it back. Meanwhile, the heroes back in the caverns of the dark moons watched as lightning struck and Groth appeared. Groth tried explain to them the balance that it laid precociously in it and asked that they denounce death. And one by one, they denounce their ties to death. And the priest and the paladin walked away from the church and their faith. They threw away their religious and objects and threw them into the diamond, into the negatorial plane. Then Milio emerged from the negative material plane after dropping the scepter before exiting. There they discussed why he needed to denounce his faith. At, at this point, one of the half-orcs, after a comment by the dwarf Thorn, walked in and faded from existence into the negative material plane. The brave heroes made their way out of the caverns, and there, sitting upon the plains, was a black dragon with a man in red, Borthar himself, standing there. The two ex-clerics, the ex-paladin, the druid, and one other walked forward. There they were told that now they are ready to battle death by Borthar, and stepped onto the dragon and flew off. The gnome in a mad dash tried to make it to the dragon, but it was too late. A year has passed since we left, left, left our brave adventurers back in the city of Delric, Delric in, their, in their shared area of living. Joined by a dwarf. Joined by a new dwarf without the clerics, which they have not seen in a while. They decide that is the dwarf's 
decide that they wish to return to their homelands for different reasons yet unexpressed under the pretense of recharging Thorne's axe and the forge as a silver hammer. They spend their time equipping themselves as Lomac, the other dwarf, goes and recruits a cleric from the temple of Uthar. As they talk and equip themselves for the trip up into the mountains, and the day goes by. Late in the evening, they are paid a visit. For apparently the Druid had gone into the temple of Tiamat seeking yet another religion. As the Earth Elemental stood guard and threw a rock at Lomac and woke him up, then went to woke up his master, the over-talkative gnome. Lomak stands, guards, and asks why the creature at the door is there, and he is ignored. A slight scuffle breaks out, and Lomak whacks this creature in the leg, but it pushes through him. <laughs> Entered, he left a medallion on the druid's bed and left. As he left, the fear that this creature had slammed the mighty adventurers with subsided. And the druid looked at the medallion, recognized it, and started getting dressed. The members questioned him about why he is inviting strange and as the dwarf. Walmack put it, violent creatures into their home. As the morning sun broke, the adventurers, minus the druid who went to seek out the temp seek out the visitor back at the temple of Tiamat, ate breakfast and made plans to leave. A few of them went to the temple to see if the cleric, the druid was going to join them. As the two dwarfs and a few others started on out to the outer gates to await the rest of the party, and they had ventured on as the rest joined them. Halfway through the first day, the druid rejoined them after talking with the priest of Tiamat and finding out that he is now being looked at for the t church. As, as the brave Adventurers reached Narnia. They decided to make a full, a full hearty, full hearty plan and take across the plains up until they meet meet up with the road up into the dwarven mountains. And the adventurers set across the plains and met many encounters during this. A spider killed the cleric, formerly of, or the druid, formerly of death, now seeking into the religion of Tiamat without being seen. A spider descended and sucked him dry. 
buried with his emulets of Tiamat and his acorn in his mouth. And he was left. After much arguing and debate, amazingly not attracting any more creatures, they walked, they decided, the majority of the party decided that to take the coward road and to go back to Narnia. And they started back. Midway through their journey back to Narnia, they ran across an orc mage. The druid that had joined them from the plains died frozen to death by a cone of cold. And many were hurt. But yet the dwarfs walked tall and proud without noticeable injury. And Thorin walked through the plains unscathed. And we meet up with our brave adventurers again in the city of Narnia, trying to decide where to go. No, we owe for this. This is for the cable and the stuff that we... Yeah.